Well, this morning, uh, this is going to be, this, just this morning, it has, I, you know, I believe God has it this way. Uh, this is going to be a brief introduction, introduction to, uh, about prophecy. And it's very interesting because, to be quite honest with you, I, I have, and there's no other way that God the Holy Spirit has given all the preponderance of this truth other than the scriptures. And, and that's why Isaiah 28, 10 to 13, well, 20, 28 verse 9, it says, Whom will he teach doctrine? Whom will he teach the realities about God himself? And it says this, honestly, it says, Them that are weaned from the breast. And then it goes on in, in 10 through 13. It says, line upon line, precept upon precept. This about prophecy, and I don't know another way to do it, because the only way I can tell you is the only way that God gave it to me. And I believe honestly with my whole heart, if God could, could give this to me in the way that he gave it to me, in my own simplicity, he certainly can give it to everybody. He, he really can, and I, and I do mean that too. And I just, I, I, I love the prayer that Mike prayed. And it's always, to me, it's a, such a, a, a Holy Spirit prayer. Because all th in Revelations 2 and 3, which, which does mark church history in terms of when the church began in Acts, the second chapter. But it's always the sevenfold hearing of the Holy Spirit in those chapters is hear what the Spirit says unto the church. And so, also in his prayer, he said those things, the things that are happening here, he said, and, and, and happening in time right now are strange. And at first I thought strange, and then, and then I said, and then the Holy Spirit said, no, the strange that he means is the way that I, I gave it. And the strange is this, because... In 1 Peter 2.11, we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth, meaning we are just passing through. It's strange to us because it's so outside of who we are in Christ. In that sense, that's strange. And of course, uh, when he said strange, how could someone commit these atrocities how could any human being do that to another human being? Is extremely, and especially and only when we're in Christ, by the way, and when we function in Him experientially. When we function in the holiness that we can function in as individuals when we submit to Him and He rules and reigns over us and that holiness is that that He gives to each individual. And then in that place, Obviously, outside of that, things are really strange in terms of it's not God's order. It's not his order because we know as crazy as the world system is right now being run by Satan for a time for the lie to have its full effect and come to its finalization in 1 John 2 and verse 17, Satan being the father of all lies in John 8 verse 44, the father of all hatred, murders, you name it. He is the father of it. And he, he doesn't get the blame in so much as that each and every single person does have a free will, saved and unsaved. And then, we're, and then of course, as the Bible makes crystal clear, we're not the products of our environment. We're the products of our own choices. And, and so it is strange in that sense. Just, just and, and God the Holy Spirit used what is happening with Russia and Ukraine right now to uh, literally in my own life to awaken me, to wake me up to present eternal realities being worked out in time on earth. You see, that's what prophecy has to do with. It has to do with the eternal truths eternal realities, God's eternal viewpoint that began in eternity in an angelic conflict 
And everything that goes on in this earth right now has to do with that angelic conflict that was introduced in humanity in Genesis, the third chapter, in those first six verses. And uh, I'm saying this is an introduction because, again, this is involved. It, it is involved, but I'm honestly, I mean this. If we, if I... Which I, which I do, and we all can do this. We give ourselves over to even that that seems to go over our head. We can be sure of one thing, that if we are entreatable and our heart is towards God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit with a yielded will and become entreatable and humble so he can grace us out with his view, we can understand it. We can, but it's the only way we can. And of course, that, that's going to take some some time. But this is very, very involved. And what we're watching on our TVs with what is going on with Russia and Ukraine is all a part, a part of that that began in Genesis, the third chapter, in its beginning form, and then entered into the fourth chapter, the whole world system. And the whole world system, everything about it, the whole world system was founded on the murder and the rejection of Christ absolutely. That's the whole world system that is brought out in Genesis, the fourth chapter. When you start seeing all the genealogies, all of them, and the Bible, through a depth of study, and I am asking because as a weak vessel... <laughs> is a weak and frail vessel who needs a lot of prayer. The enemy does not want this truth. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want it. And he's going to give us and give me every excuse why it's like it's too much, it's too involved, it's beyond me, when the reality is this. Here is Second Peter chapter 1. In verse 16, and it says this, For we, and that's us, the church, in this particular dispensation of grace, the church age, of which was not even known fully all through the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, based upon Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 4 through 8, 4, 5, and through 8, it was mystery. Not in the sense that it was mysterious, but it hadn't been yet unveiled. We see the reason for that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 8. But then we can see the reality and the understanding of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 9 to 16. Every one of us has the mind of Christ. That's, that's, that's what we have. That's the increase. That's ours in our position. And that's why the lie of the enemy for any of us is this is too deep. It's too much. Well, it is for the will that's not submitted in simplicity. You know, that's why it says in Psalm 119 and 130, the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the, to the simple. And who are they? Who are the simple ones? Those are the ones that God in his love, his mercy, his unconditional love, grace, and mercy has humbled so he can grace them out. And, and it is involved. It is but we will trust God that the sentence in Psalm 17 and verse 2 will come from his presence. And we'll do it over a process of time. But here it says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. You see, anything other than the word, of course, first and foremost, the foundational truths in each of us, about who Christ is in us as individuals and what he's accomplished to his Father and for us as individuals, each one of us, we either function in that or some cunningly devised fable from the Father of all lies in John 8, verse 44. So he can, if he can't touch our position, and he can't, we've, the Bible's taught us that even sin can't touch our relationship with God, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He can't touch that. But he will go after the experience. And there's where John 10, verse 10a, says, The thief comes 
not just only to steal, no, to steal, yes, but to kill and destroy. He can't touch opposition, but he wants to do that in our experience. And the, that's what makes so important prayer, which is always teaching dependence, and is what we all, in some sense, must, and, and, and truthfully, in Luke 18, 1, we must always pray and not faint. And then, of course, for, especially for leaders and initiators as men in whatever form that God has you functioning in, in Acts 6, verse 4, we need to give ourselves to prayer. To, to prayer, dependence upon God, so that when we depend upon Him, He's able to take that word for that specific time period, for that individual and for others, to make it His counsel. Now, everything we see, and we'll get into it. So, again, 2 Peter 1 and verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, right? But who do we follow? Who's our head? It's Jesus Christ. That's who we follow. Okay? When we made known unto you the power, notice that, the power, right? The power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This happens in two phases in the scriptures. The first phase, the first phase is is of course when he came in the first advent, born in the womb of a 14-year-old little peasant girl, Christ's perfect humanity, his impeccable humanity, was formed in that, that in Mary's womb by God the Holy Spirit. That was his first advent, and in that sense he came. And he, he came. And then it says here, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he came as our Savior, he came first and foremost in John 1.10. He came into the world, Satan's world system, and the world didn't think anything of him. They didn't make anything of him because they were not interested in him at all because they were functioning under the evil one who doesn't touch us in our position in 1 John 5.18, but can go after the experience. But thank God he's waiting. God's waiting to be gracious, to, gr to grace us out, Isaiah 30, verse 18, because of his fullness, Christ's fullness, in John 1, 16. Of his fullness we have all received. Did you know that? That when God gave his son to himself for us and for you and I, then God in providing for himself has provided for you and I. That's why it can't fail. That's why love doesn't fail in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8, because love is God. No, God is love. And so, therefore, love is God in that sense. Now, again, it says, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he came, the world didn't know him. In John 1.11, in his first advent and his coming, he came unto his own, the nation of Israel, and they rejected him. They said in Psalm, and they said in John 18, verse 40, not this man. Furthermore, under the influence of Satan, just like Cain, who was the first human murderer, under the father of all lies, who was a murderer from the beginning of in eternity in John 8, verse 44. Just like right here, right here we see that he wants to murder, he can't touch our position, so he wants to murder us in our experience. And he does that in a multitude of ways, in a multitude of ways. He'll give us every excuse under the sun <laughs> in John 15 and verse 22. But Christ did away, he did away with every cloak or every, every excuse he did for all of us, and thank God. So he gave us this. He gave us, a, a, and he, he, he came unto his own, the nation of Israel, he rejected him. Then there was a great parenthesis. And in that parenthesis, in John 1, verse 12, listen, while prophecy is still going on, still going on through the whole line, from Genesis, the third chapter, all the way through to the, to the book of Revelations, that prophecy is still going on. It's still going on. But, that parenthesis is John 1.12. But, separated now. You see this? See the but? And that's why the Bible teaches us 
we do not have a Judeo-Christian heritage. There's no such thing in the scriptures. The scriptures make it crystal clear that we do not have a Judeo-Christian heritage. We are grafted in Christ, who is their Messiah, ultimately during the millennial reign, but he's our Savior. We are the church, his body, flesh and bones in Ephesians 5.30. We are his church in Matthew 16 and verse 18, and he's our head in Colossians 1 and 18 and Colossians 2 and verse 19. He is our head, meaning we only think properly when our will is submitted to the head who is the full thought of God as the word. Now when it says this, but as many as would receive him, that's separated from him dealing with Israel right now. He's not dealing with Israel. Prophecy still going on. But that's the church age, the dispensation of grace. But as many as would receive him, to them he gave the power, the authority, the right through Christ, his person and what he's accomplished, to become the sons of God. That's brought out again in Galatians chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7 and Romans chapter 8 verses 15 and 16. But now there's this great parenthesis. There is where God is bringing out all the truth through preaching and teaching under the influence of the Holy Spirit when the gifted, whatever gift that one has as a pastor teacher, is completely submitted to Christ. Then only his mind, his person, and the work that he has accomplished flows through that individual as a vessel to him and for and to him and with all others. That's the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in between the two advents is the church. That's the great parenthesis in John 1 and verse 12. Prophecy has to do with the eternal mind of God worked out on earth. And it has, we have a, and the reason, we'll read the rest of this. Okay. And so we see, for we have not, in 2 Peter 1 verse 16, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Everything that they witnessed, that God the Holy God had them uh, witness through Christ being God in man, the Holy Spirit would take and use them as vessels to write down so that you and I can be, and we are, as with a will submitted, his eyewitnesses. His eyewitnesses of his majesty. We can see his majesty. For he, Christ, received from God the Father honor and glory. Where does all honor and glory belong? To Christ and to him alone. To Christ and to him alone. And that's why we see, even in John the 12th chapter, in verses 31 and 32, about the glory that only belongs to him because of what he has accomplished to the Father and for us, which enters into his high priestly prayer in John the 17th chapter and verse 4, as he's facing the cross in that particular chapter in John 17, the most intimate exchange in all the Bible between the Father and the Son, where he, even before he's at the cross, it says, I finished the work. See? He didn't go there to finish it. He went there because it was and to manifest it. Where man, under the influence of Satan, would do all evil he could to eliminate him. God used it as an occasion to manifest the depth and height of his love. And how, the height of his love and how low it would reach to multitudes of us. Again, in Deuteronomy 33, in verse 27, when we finally receive him, and finally he's made us his own, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, now we see, no matter what, when the enemy tries to say to us, in your experience and mine, you have hit the bottom, we know his eternal arms, Christ himself, is underneath the bottom of our bottom. We never hit the bottom. No, because Christ himself went to that depth that only he would experience, and I do believe in measure, to teach us for all eternity about what he accomplished for us as, as individuals. And even that will go into in Revelations 2 and verse 17, uh, the hidden manna and our new name 
which speaks of this new nature that he's made ours individually. We were eyewitnesses. For he received of the Father honor and glory, glory he won't share with anyone in Isaiah 42 and verse 8. Glory. Where there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. (laughs) That's the height of God himself. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yet the Son in the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God in Acts 2 and verse 23 was, uh, was under the influence of Satan used men to crucify him. Again, the reality of that is brought out because they knew nothing about it because if they had, they never would have done that in their evil plans, humanity under the influence of Satan in the world system. They never would have done that in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 6, 7, and 8. Now, this is what it says. From the excellent glory, from the excellent glory, that is of the first time that Christ heard that voice and others did, that's brought out in the scriptures, is Matthew 3 and verse 16, brought out in the 17th verse, when he was going to begin his three and a half year ministry in the midst of the evil world system. He would be doing this. And that's where the dove landed on him, a type of the Holy Spirit. And you heard a voice from heaven, the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, where all my pleasure and only my pleasure is located. And that's where you see, when you see at that particular time, that was always true, but being manifested at at his public ministry, because that was true privately through his whole life as he grew in stature. That's brought out in Luke, the first chapter in the 70s, from 70 to 79 in Luke chapter 1. But that's why it says, even in Colossians 2 and verse 9, the King James says, he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Greek says, he was filled up with all that God is. And that's why it says in Colossians 2.10, and you, you, each of us, are filled up in him. No wonder we're more than conquerors. And this is important for us to understand. No wonder we're more than conquerors in Romans 8 and verse 37. Because who do we have for us? When it says in Romans 8, 31, God for us. And brought out through the Holy Spirit, through David in Psalm 56 and verse 9. God is for us. (laughs) And if God for us, who can be against us? And what is going on in prophecy on the earth? Can that be against us? No. Why? It doesn't even have anything to do with us. But we can mark God's timepiece. And he will use it, like he did in my own life, to wake me up again in a multitude of areas of my life. To wake up. Because the time is so short in 1 Corinthians 7.29. And that has to do with, with the prophetic word. That's why we need to redeem the time in Ephesians 5 and verse 16. Because time is going to come and it's going to end in in, in Revelations 10 and verse 6. Then we enter into what is called in Revelations 22 and verse 11, the fixedness of eternity. the, The opportunity that we have right now in time is going to be what is fixed of us. In Revelations 2, 17, entering into an eternal intimate fellowship with him. And these things are very, very, and time is extremely important to us. Extremely important to us. Our time. What we do, where we go, who we do it with. And need, needing to know that we're actually sent. Sent, which is necessary as eyewitnesses. That's brought out in the type as God was speaking to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1. Uh, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. But again, it says here, in whom I am well pleased. The next time they heard that, they heard it loud and clear, which they did on the mount of his transfiguration. He was transfigured. The glory that was always within, and Christ was, remember, the whole time he walked the face of the earth, in Isaiah 53 and verse 2, he was not a good-looking man. There was no beauty outwardly that we would be attracted to him. That is brought out in the type of the tabernacle on their way to their promised land. 
to establish the temple. But in the meantime, the tabernacle, in Numbers the fourth chapter, was made of badger skins and these animal skins. Not much to look like on the outside, but boy, when you went in, it was absolutely beautiful. That fulfills the type of John 1 and verse 14. This is our opportunity. And the word was made flesh, was made humanity, by the way. No sin nature, human nature, based upon Hebrews 4 and verse 15 and scores of other scriptures. And he dwelt among us. He lived in humanity just like us, but without a sin nature. I mean, he could feel pain, sorrow, hurt. He could feel all of those things. Love, show compassion. And we beheld his glory, it says. The glory is of the only begotten one of the Father. He was filled up with all that grace and truth is. That was the glory. We weren't just looking at him on the outside. No, to us, he's more than the historical Christ, although that was true. He's our precious Savior, our head. He's our everything in Colossians 3 and verse 11. He is our everything, and we view him in this beauty and where he is positioned in heaven, representing you and I in him before the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And who appeared there? And in the type, it's Moses, all those Old Testament saints. All those Old Testament saints. They died and those that believed in Christ through the types, through their will, looking forward to the cross, their faith, being submitted to that through all the sacrifices, scores of them, and their faith looked forward to it, and they became heavenly people after paradise was emptied, and we won't go into that. But they, they went to heaven, ultimately, and they're heavenly people. That's Moses, but he had to die. But Elijah, those are the, that's the other one that appeared with him, and Elijah was what? He was what? He didn't face death. That's a picture of you and I, the church, being raptured, of course, we're still the church, whether we're raptured or not. Multitudes have. And I do believe, if it's not me and my old generation, it's close after the next one. I, I really believe that. And that's not, thus saith God, by any means. Because no man knows the day or the hour, Matthew 24 and verse 36. It's not given unto us to know the times and the seasons. But we can know it in, by prophecy in Acts 1-7. But the reality of it is this, that that's who it is in those types. And that's when they heard it. To both, to both, and both were outside of the world. No? That's right. God called Egypt, uh, Israel out of Egypt to be a people for himself. After their own bondage kept them in Egypt, the world system under Pharaoh, a type of Satan. And, and uh, he, he raised up Moses, a type of the work of Christ through him. Moses himself wasn't the type. But what God was, was teaching and revealing through Moses as the type of Christ. He led them out. He led them out. And they were in the world, but they weren't of it. And neither are we. Based upon Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 and verse 14. Neither are we. Jesus was in the world, but he wasn't of it. We're in, in this world. In 17 and verse 16 of John, but we're, we're not of it. No, we're not. The cross, the reality of the accomplishment of the finished work, will always separate us, the world system from us, of which was crucified, and us, ourselves, to the world, in Galatians 6 and verse 14. And so here... It says in verse 18, And this voice which came from heaven we heard, and we are hearing it now, just as clearly as God the Holy Spirit is making it as clear as those that heard it. And I think in a sense, even a greater sense, because we're the, because we're the church, when we were with him in the Holy Mount, and of course that's, that the three that were there were Peter, James, and John, and not that they were more special. He didn't pick them out from the 11, of course, until, until Saul became Paul and the apostle of the church. He, they weren't special. It's just that they chose to go that far in their capacity. We can go as far as we want in our capacity. He won't force us. He'll knock at the door in Revelation 3.20 to come in. But the door opens on the inside.
And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Verse 19. We, that's us, the church, have a more sure word of prophecy. Why? Because prophecy, listen, prophecy will be fulfilled and done away with. We have a more sure word. We are in Christ as his heavenly people. We have a much more sure word because that word, the same one that is, is working out prophecy of that that it had to do with in rejection of Christ, we are in him. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And what that means, clearly, this is what is brought out even in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. And this is what it says. And this is, every place that you see this, I remember doing this, oh boy, some decades ago in, in one of the Bibles that I had, where it says, you know, in 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love. Again, if it says charity, cross it out. It's agape, God's self-sacrificial love. Every time you see that, you can put Jesus. If I don't have Jesus, what am I? Sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge in, in terms of a declarative sense, but not experiencing Christ. And though I have all faith and what I really and have not love, Jesus, I am nothing. Right? Because we see this. We see right through these scriptures here. Right here. Charity. <laughs> Charity. Boy, I don't like that word. Agape love. The love that Jesus is and manifested. Never what? Fails. But whether there be prophecies, they will fail. Meaning they're going to be dealt with and done away with. See that? And where there'll be tongues, languages, no such thing as an angelic tongue. Don't buy the lie. It's not angelic gibberish. Every time you see angels, when they approach men, did they speak in known foreign languages? The Greek words glossolalia, do away with the all nonsense, because even in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 2, and when we see it in other places here, and where it says unknown is italicized because it's an interpolation, doesn't belong there. They were known foreign languages. That's the Greek word glossolalia. Now, back, back here, and we're going to wrap this up. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you, who's you? It's you and I, the church, those that are in Christ, do well to take heed. To take heed of what? How close is the coming of our Lord for us. He doesn't come for us on the earth. If we die, Christians die prior to the rapture. And that's brought out the two classes of the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. That's brought out 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, absent from the body, present with the Lord. If I die on the earth, instantly where do I go? To heaven. We're heavenly people. We're heavenly people. That you will do well to take heed. What are we to heed? How close we are to the rapture. Paul thought it would happen in his day when he wrote 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18 because things were so evil. What is it like in our day? What is it like? You know, in, in our day, it was really manifested in a spiritual sense. I'm so, now you're seeing it in a very outward sense with all the evil that goes on right here in our country. Right here in our country. And everything right now in our country, according to prophecy, and we're gonna, we'll bring it out by the, by, the, <laughs> by the beautiful grace and mercy of God, the Holy Spirit, the, the interpreter, the theologian and scholar, how even America is found in the scriptures. And in terms of the judgment of the nations too, by the way. Each, I mean, no judgment for us as individuals in Christ. But the judgment of the nations, this clearly is brought out in the scriptures. Clearly. But we do well to do what? Take heed. Take heed. 
Just remember, everything that we have in Christ and everything about our life is to be him. And prophecy is teaching us how close the rapture is. No wonder it's so attacked. <laughs> no wonder no one wants to hear that there were diff different dispensations and to know the difference in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, rightly dividing the word of truth and how that's even marked. We, to take heed. We need to take heed. And take heed there again. Take heed there is in Revelations 2, 7, 11, 17, and 29, chapter 3, verse 6, 13, and 22. That's the sevenfold hearing of the Holy Spirit. Church, in every place in the church from when it began in Acts, the second chapter, all those people, listen, take heed. Not only hear the word of God, but submit to it. Yet can I submit to it if I don't know? God does not want us to be ignorant. He wants us to understand prophecy because it's his timepiece. Israel is God's timepiece. Everything that we see happening on the news right now, that's not going to stop. And God in his mercy may stop it in Ukraine. I don't know. Only he does. Because prophecy is still now being fulfilled. But it's not going to stop there. It's going to end in Israel. It's going to end in Israel where it will finally meet its doom. There, in terms of humanity. And then Satan hid, finally him, and all his evil minions and all those that even during the millennial reign will run to his banner when Christ is right there presently. There'll be uh, fire from heaven and will come down, and that's Revelation 26 to 11. It speaks of the second death there, and where they're cast into the lake of fire. It's not, none of that is for us, though. Now, as now, 2 Peter 1, verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto what? A light. Who's the light? Do we have him in each vessel? We have that treasure in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7 that shines in a dark place. What's that? That's the world system. A dark place can also be for the believer who's never been taught certain things. But still, God wants you to know them and you can still know them. In a dark place, until the day dawn. Now the day for us as Christians is already dawned in us, but it's going to be manifested on the earth. As a heavenly people, that day has dawned to us. <laughs> but the day of the millennial reign, where no longer, no longer will be he, he be the morning star. We see that again in how it, in, in its operation in Revelations 2 and 27 and 28 to 29. The morning star is Christ himself. The morning star just before darkness breaks and the dawn comes, is millennial reign, and that's where he, it will be, in Malachi 4, verse 2, the son of righteousness. The son of righteousness. Until the day dawn, and listen, the day star arise in your hearts, in your minds. All the truth about the person of Christ, who he is, and all of his majesty and beauty and glory, who he is. And what he's accomplished for each and every single individual. And when it says in your hearts, that's for you and I. Every born again believer. You and I. Knowing this first. Knowing this first. Knowing this first. And again, we're going to teach, I, I believe, Mondays and Thursdays about prophecy. And it's, it's going to take a while, but we're going to do it at a pace and just trust God for it. And I'm going to trust him with you. I have to. Otherwise, I won't know it. And I won't experience it. And we're going to get to know it. But in between those days, you can be sure we're going to continue teaching about the person of Christ and what he's accomplished for each and every individual as our very foundation, as our very positional truth. We're positioned in him and how he's going to work that through the sanctification process 
based upon the fact that we already are justified, cleared of all guilt and condemnation, and bring that into a present reality in our experience. We need, and those things are not to be done away with. Never. Because that's the more sure word that we have. Because that's going to last forever. It's going to last forever. And what a tremendous thing. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. We're going to bring this out in the coming days. Private there, you know, in the English word private, but really is no prophecy of the Scripture, in the Greek language, in the Koine Greek, bring it out, is, is not to be of your own. You don't make it your own. Countless. I remember back in the 80s. No, excuse me. I remember in the 70s when a precious man of God, very brilliant man, naturally. He had, he, he said, I don't know that, he said, I don't know the day, but he says, I have it down, of the hour, but I have it down to the year. It never happened. It never happened. Because prophecy is still right now being fulfilled. We're not to make it our own. We need to be taught by God, the Holy Spirit. I need to be taught by me personally, by God, the Holy Spirit, because if it's any private interpretation and I make it my own, even as a born-again Christian, if I make it my own, how do I make it my own? It's through the flesh. That's where all that, those foolish questions and those fables in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 23 and Titus 3, 9, that comes in and confuses the experience, can't touch the position, but gets into the mind of the believer and, confu and leaves them in confusion because God is not the author of confusion, but of life and peace. And he's our life in Colossians 3, verse 4. He's our peace in Ephesians 2 and verse 14. We're going to see so many different things that God has brought out to us. It's not of any private interpretation or to make our own that we can discuss it. For the prophecy came not in old times, all the way through the old covenant, by the will of man separated from God's word, which is Christ who fulfills it all. It wasn't from the will of man. So when, when Jesus said in John 4 and verse 34, he came, his meat was to do the will of the Father and to finish the work. He fulfills all prophecy. He fulfilled every type, every single thing. That's why he's our all and our all. The prophecy came not in old times by the will of man, but holy men. And that was men that even though they had received Christ as their Savior, if their will was not submitted in obedience to the word of God, did they function in holiness? No. No. But holy men of God will submit it to him so that God could use them as his pen. You know, the pen is Jesus Christ. That's brought out in Isaiah 45 and verse 1. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You better believe that's Jesus Christ. <laughs> and all those that submit to him, that, he, that we can be the vessels that he uses and, and if we have anything to do with the Word of God in any measure, in any single measure, if we do it the right way, it is extremely humbling, yet extremely gracious and something we didn't earn and is the highest privilege that we could even ever imagine. The prophecy came not in old times by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by who? The only theologian and scholar God the Holy Spirit. So, here it is at 8.49. And the only thing, just to lay the groundwork, we're going to see where this all leads up to, even presently, where we are with what's going on right now with Russia. We'll see how, where they came from, the people groups, we'll just see it all, so that we can have a clear and precise understanding of those things, because that's what God desires for us. Listen to me. Prophecy, God teaches prophecy. Now, is there any fear for us who are in Christ? None. There's no fear in love. We're in Him. We're in Him. In 1 John 4, verse 18. We're like Him in 1 John 4, 17. So to teach prophecy is not, is not to teach and, and to bring about fear. It keeps it out. That's why we need to know it. <laughs> 
So we, didn't get, we don't get overwhelmed. We don't start, listen, politicizing it. Jeez, it's not a political issue. It's not. It's a spiritual one manifested through, and politics really, listen to me, politics has to do, because Christ is, Christ, he's taking us out of the world. Is he in control of the world right now? No. So politics have to do with the world, and what politics is, politics you mix with Christianity, now you get a religion. And Cain had his, <laughs> and the world has theirs too under him, who was influenced by Satan to be the first murderer. But we're going to see from Genesis, the third chapter, and then you're going to look at how, how Adam had sons and what they developed into, and we're going to follow it through all the way to the fifth chapter of Genesis. We're going to see the generations of Adam, the people groups, their names, and names speak of nature all the way through. We're going to see it even how it was tried, tried by the enemy to be interrupted in Genesis, the sixth chapter, and why God had to destroy it. Everything about prophecy and the evil sense of that word, every single thing about that has to do with the fact that in Genesis 6, verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Why is that man from Russia doing that to Ukraine? Why do you suppose that is? Because his only thought, whether he's ignorant of it or not, makes no difference, is hatred toward God, hatred towards Christ. That's what started in Genesis, the fourth chapter. Every imagination of, of the thoughts of his heart, all his designs and his plan was only evil. We're going to see how it's brought out in prophecy. So crystal clear. Don't buy the eye of the, of the enemy. It's too hard. No. It's not too hard. That's a lie. Because why would God say we have a more sure word of prophecy if we didn't have it? Why would he say that? Listen, that's for each and every Christian. That's not just for teachers. A teacher is, is a Christian. A pastor, which is a shepherd, poimen and poimenos in the operation of it, he's just a shepherd. He's a sheep too. He's placed in a position for God to use him as a pen. That's all he is. No different than you and I. I'm no different than anybody. In that sense. Every thought, every plan, every design, every purpose was only evil continually. So God wiped it out with the flood. And then we see, and when you get into the seventh chapter and the eighth, and then by the time you get to the ninth and tenth chapter, all of those families where they came from are going to be brought out. All the countries that are involved under the headship of each one, in many cases, they took the name of the individual to name their country. We're going to see like Gog and Magog, which the scriptures completely and clearly re re reveal Russia. That's brought out. We'll get into those in Ezekiel chapter, Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. But they, where they came from in Genesis, the 10th chapter. And I'm going to tell you, it's not about fear. But God, listen, God wants us to know who we... Listen, for us as Christians, this is first and foremost. We need to have the foundation of who Christ is in us as individuals through the preaching and teaching of positional truth, the growth truths, the identification truths, first and foremost, and that's what 2 Peter 1, 19 and 20 and 21 is bringing out. That, has, that foundation has to be built. Now, because of where we are in time right now in prophecy, that still needs to be taught. Foundational, positional truths. That needs to be taught. But we need to know prophecy. And when I say we, I include myself with you. I'm one with you. And honestly, in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4, I am with you in weakness and trembling. Weakness, available, with a submitted will for God to bring the strength of Christ and reality through his word into my mind, trembling because the word is so incredible. The word is so incredible. 
And as I studied these things, as I put myself under the Holy Spirit so he could take the things of, of the Word, Christ, and show them unto me, they were incredible. And they, and I, they were tears. I had tears in my eyes. And I did because, um, because first it's so awesome, his plan, and that he would reveal it to me. And then, of course, tears, obviously, for all those that need to be saved and are going through this like those precious people in Ukraine, but not only there, all over the world. But I know this, I just believe this. If Paul thought that the church was going to be raptured in his time, and he did, how close are we right now? All these signs that we're looking at in prophecy, they point to the second advent, Christ coming back. You, that'll be brought out in Zechariah, the 14th chapter, with scores of others, and in Revelations, the 19th chapter. We're that close to seeing our Savior. We're that close. And it's exciting. Sobering, yes. Sobering. And God is using that. He's using, these, he's using prophecy to wake us up so that we hunger and thirst to function on a foundation that Christ is in us individually. And that's what makes, you know, his church and those that he's given the word to and humbled and had to and still will to use them as his pens to give to his church. So with that being said, it's 8.56. And this is just, this is just what's leading up to and, uh, and I do b and believe that God would have us to do this and begin it on, on, on Friday. But in between, we're going to still function and function in the joy that's our strength in Nehemiah 8.10, in the midst of sorrow. We can have that godly sorrow in 2 Corinthians 7.10 because the joy of the Lord's our strength and we can joy in Him in Romans 5.11. That's our position right now. Christians, that's our position. We're not to be worried. And not to be overcome. No. Everything that's happening is a, an evident token of perdition for all those adversaries. That's brought out in Philippians chapter 1 and verses 27, 28, and 29. And we're given, if they're Christians over there, that's part of them suffering in the place of Christ. <laughs> which has incredible eternal reward. But we need to pray for them. And that's, that's the other part of my tears for those precious people. And, uh, and again, a lot of times, a lot of times, when I look at July, I just think of what God brought that little girl, that you know, as a little girl through, and she could tell you on her journey here and what God did, and uh, to His glory and, and to her blessing. But how many countless of others? <laughs> and in those tears. But in the meantime, God would have us have joy in who we are in Him and what He's accomplished and as we grow in it. Amen? Amen. Amen.